Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. In the 1930s, missiologists predicted that Islam would literally disappear from the world. That's how impotent Islam was in those days. It just seemed like it was on its last leg. Nobody ever would have dreamed that there would be a Islamic resurgence that would show itself like what we know today. And it all really kind of resurfaced in a major way on 9-11, right? Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Daniel chapter 2. Now here's Pastor Brian. That's when the kingdom passed from the Babylonian to the Medo-Persian. The Medo-Persian empire lasted roughly 200 years and then the Persians were conquered, defeated by a young Macedonian named Alexander, who became known in history as Alexander the Great. And then you have the, the Grecian Empire, which lasted about 130 years before Rome came to power. And, and the rise of Roman power is, is interesting too because it's, a, it's kind of a progressive rise to power. Um, the remnants of Alexander's empire, they, they were still very, very powerful as the, as, the Roman, as the Romans were rising to power and they would battle with one another and so forth. But the Romans ultimately, um, of course, won out. Now, the Roman Empire lasted a long time in different forms. So the Western Roman Empire, that would have been what we would think of as the Roman Empire, the Caesars and so forth. Uh, the Western Roman Empire lasted until 476 AD. And the Roman Empire, the Western Roman Empire, it kind of imploded from within and it was ravaged and ransacked from without by um, the Germans the Germanic tribes, the Goths. But the Roman Empire had, before that, had divided into two. So remember, there's the two legs on this statue, on this image. And the Roman Empire divided between the West and the East. And the Eastern Empire, Constantine was the one who made that division and set up uh, another palace, another you know, center of power in what became known as Constantinople, the, the city of Constantine. And that Eastern, it was called then the Eastern Empire, and the Eastern Empire did not fall until 1453, when the Turks invaded it and finally overtook Constantinople. And so all of that obviously is history. 
But the image has not only the head of gold, the arms and chest of silver, the legs of brass, but it has the feet and the toes of iron and clay. And so what I think is the understanding is that there is there is something yet to come that is connected back to what was, but will manifest itself as this um, toes of iron and clay. And it's interesting the things that it says about this phase. So this is, this will be, so there's four, there's four kingdoms, there's not five, but the fourth has this final phase, and there is obviously a time period between the first and the second phase of the fourth kingdom. And so that's why we look for a revived Roman Empire, in a sense, that something is going to come in the future that's going to it's going to um, correlate with these, this image here of the 10 toes. And it's gonna be a mixture of iron and clay. So it's gonna have strength and it's gonna have weakness. Now, Daniel 2 doesn't tell us all the detail, Daniel 7 actually gives us more detail. And so, but from what we know now of history, we can say with real confidence that the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had was what we've seen unfold in the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Greek and the Roman empires. So, but notice that that's not all there was to the dream. There was also this rock or this stone that was not the product of anything human. It's a way of hinting that this is divine, not made with human hands. And what does the rock do? The rock strikes the image where it strikes the image in the feet. So the feet will be intact when the rock strikes the image. Now, if you think about it, all of those other empires, they're, they're all gone. They're gone in one sense, but they're not gone in another sense because their influence still remains in the world today. Much of the art and the architecture and mathematics and medicine and music and literature and law and philosophy and engineering and, and all of these things, these things all came down to us through these, through these ancient empires. So in some ways, they, they still exist. And who knows, before it's all over, 
those very regions could also become a part of this final phase of the Roman Empire. But what we're looking at is something in the future that develops that would be akin to the 10 toes of iron and clay. And in the days of these kings, and when it says in the days of these kings, I take it to mean the kings that are represented by the toes. And I think that's a legitimate understanding because Daniel 7 has horns, not toes, 10 of them, and it tells us that they are kings. So if the 10 horns are kings, then we can conclude that the image, the 10 toes are kings. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. So any of you that have been around for a while, a few decades, any of you that have studied prophecy, um, you know, you've heard us talk about um, a revived Roman empire. You've talked about, you've heard us talk about 10 nations, 10 nations coming together, uh, being the 10 kings. And there's been all kinds of speculation and wondering, you know, who is this and what is this? And I'll never forget back in the the end of the 1990s as the European Union was coming into existence. And man, that just seemed like, wow, that is, that is, it's it right there. And, you know, it came in with a number of nations and then it added some nations and then it got to 10 and then it jumped to 11. (laughs) And then suddenly it's like, wait a second. And then, you know, finally, I think there's 25 nations in the European Union right now. And so everybody's scratching their head like, wait, I thought there were going to be 10. And then, of course, we had to think, well, did we even get that right? And some people just said, no, no, we got all of that wrong. It wasn't European when the when the um, Islamic revival took place and Islam resurfaced in the world. I mentioned this before, but in the 19... 30s, uh, missiologists predicted that Islam would literally disappear from the world. That's how impotent Islam was in those days. It just seemed like it, it was on its last leg. Nobody ever would have dreamed that there would be uh, Islamic resurgence that would show itself like what we know today. Um, and it all really kind of resurfaced in a major way on 9-11, right? So, so a lot of Bible teachers who had formerly thought that there's going to be this revived Roman empire, they said, okay, we got that wrong. It's going to be an Islamic empire. And where we, the, you know, and so the story went where we used to think that the Antichrist, who's connected to all of this kind of stuff, we used to think that the Antichrist is going to come out of Rome or come out of a revived Europe and going to be a, a secular person. Now we decided that he's going to be a Muslim leader. He's going to be an imam. He's going to be, you know, something like that. So a whole group of people just ditched the, uh, the European thing and went for the Islamic empire thing. And quite honestly, I don't know where anybody's at today. I mean, it, it, you know, it just has become so confusing. But I never did buy into the Islamic thing. I, I have thought all the way from the, from the get-go that, no, this, is, this will come as a revived Roman Empire at some point in time. The problem is we, we're always trying to guess the time 
and we're never getting it right. And so we have to be patient and just say, okay, well, when the time comes, whenever that is, the best we can tell, we think this is what's gonna happen. Now, there's a, a totally different understanding of this than the one that I'm giving you among Christians. So the understanding that I'm giving us of how to read this, all this prophecy stuff is, it, you know, it's an understanding that's very common to us. It's very common. The, the theological term is dispensationalism. So dispensationalism, this is their, this is their interpretation of Daniel chapter two and Daniel chapter seven. And I, I, I actually, although I wouldn't, you know, claim to be a, uh, dispensationalist necessarily, but I, I think that that is the, I, I think this is the right view. But there's a whole bunch of other Christians who look at this and they don't see it this way. They see this as the stone that's coming is not Christ coming in the future. They believe that the stone is Christ or the church even, and that this happened back at the first coming of Jesus and that what's happening now is the, the stone is turning throughout time into a mountain. In other words, what they believe is that the church throughout history is bringing in the kingdom of God. And one day the, the church will, as a manifestation of the kingdom of God, will take over the whole world and dash the kingdoms and all of that. And many really wonderful Christian brothers and sisters believe that. They think that that is actually what this is about. So um, now I would, I would imagine most of us here, most of you have never heard that interpretation unless you've grown up in a Presbyterian church or maybe an uh, Episcopalian or Anglican or Methodist or something like that, you know, Bible believing, um, because that is the position. It's it's what you would call the the um, a millennial position. And many good, wonderful believers. I have some really good friends who believe that. Now, to me, I just don't see it. I think that. The rock is Christ, not as his first coming, but the rock is Christ at his second coming. And so these, these things are yet future. They're, they're yet to happen. So these uh, 10 toes representing 10 future kings connected to the fourth kingdom, which is clearly Rome, that will emerge at some point. And so we don't know when, but some of the interesting things about it, and you know, whether it's the European Union or not, I don't know. I mean, some people, you know, there is, there is what's known as the, the Western European Union that actually sees itself as distinct from the rest of the European Union. And it actually is made up of 10 nations. Now, whether it is ever gonna, exert itself and say, okay, we're gonna be the ones that are gonna take charge over everything. Who knows, that's 
would just be speculation. We don't really know. But what I find interesting here is this thing about the iron mixed with baked clay. And so the people will be a mixture <coughs> and they will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. So the iron represents, you know, Rome was autocratic. Rome was the iron fist. Rome ruled your life. And so the kingdom is partially that, but it, then it seems that it's partially democratic as well. Democratic, you know, the word democratic means the rule of the people. And so the picture that it seems to be painting is one of trying to blend these like sort of dictator tendencies with democratic principles and it doesn't work. The people don't adhere. And, you know, it's interesting because again, if the European scene is the place where this might happen. Um, what I find interesting is that this is exactly what you have in Europe. You have all of these, you know, the United States is different. Now, you know, the European Union is an experiment in a sense to try to become the United States of, of Europe. That's, that's what it is. But it's not. Because the European Union is made up not of different states, it's made up of different countries. <laughs> Cultures languages, people who, they don't like your culture. They don't like your language. They don't like your food across the border. So, you know, for Europeans, I mean, we, we know, right, already historically, we've had two major world wars that were essentially based in Europe, started in Europe because of this problem of Europeans not being able to coexist together. But now there's this European Union, but even recently we saw that there was uh, one country in the European Union that said, we don't wanna play with you guys anymore, we're out. And that's called Brexit, right? The British did that. You happy about that? <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's almost like a, kind of just a little example of the kinds of things that maybe are being hinted at here. Yeah. Yeah. That some people are just gonna say at a certain point, this is not gonna work. And then, I don't wanna get ahead of ourselves too much here, but then what happens? We know from Daniel 7 and Daniel 8 and from Revelation, we know that the 10 give their power to one in the end, who becomes the ruler overall. So that is what is predicted here in Daniel chapter two. And, you know, again, there, there are lots of wonderful Christian people who just don't, they just, they can't see it this way. I, I think to me, it just seems like they haven't thought about it deeply enough without other things that have biased them, extremes and so forth that have turned them off. Um, 
But to me, when you, when you look at the world scene, when you look at Europe, which although right now doesn't seem like any kind of a significant, well, what are they gonna do? They're all, you know, they're, they're not, I mean, they, they developed a currency, the Euro, that is actually more valuable than the dollar. And, you know, so they, they've, they've done a few things, but you know, at this point, nobody's looking at Europe thinking Europe is actually gonna rule the world again someday. Nobody's thinking that right now. But it seems to me that that's where the, the biblical text forces us ultimately to go. So we will wait and see what happens. But here's my point as we close. My point is that things have happened historically exactly the way Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar they would by revelation from God. So the Babylonians came and went, the Medo-Persians came and went, the Greeks came and went, the Romans came and went and are coming back. And this is, this is one of the beauties about Bible prophecy. And if we can, you know, we need to keep our heads on straight when it comes to Bible prophecy and not get off with every crazy thing, you know, like, oh, this is, the vaccine is the Antichrist. I know it's the mark of the beast and all of that. You know, that's crazy stuff. Really, it's crazy. I had somebody ask me the other day, in all sincerity, is the, the vaccine, is it the mark of the beast? Is it a precursor to the Antichrist? The answer is capital N-O, no, it's not. It's not. These things are very specific. The timing for these things is very specific. Many things have to happen in the world before any of that comes about. The mark of the beast is the mark of the beast. It's the beast who invents it and implements it. And there is no beast here at this point in the sense of the person that we're talking about. So, you know, we've got to stay away from all the crazy conspiracy stuff that everybody's always trying to tie to prophecy. And this is one of the things that's given prophecy a bit of a black eye today. People don't want to hear it because they've heard so many crazy things that never happened, but prophecy, when we hold it just in, you know, in the tight biblical framework where we can say, hey, this is what we know, we don't know this, but what we know tells us enough to know that God knows the future and that God is going to bring about events just as he's already done and just as he's promised to do. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. Hi, Pastor Brian here, and it is almost Christmas. And of course, this is a time of year when Everybody is aware of this holiday. They're hearing Christmas music as they're out shopping. And yet not everyone knows what Christmas is truly all about. So 
we have a great offer for you for this month. It's a small book, and it's entitled, Is Christmas Unbelievable? It's written by Rebecca McLaughlin, who is an excellent writer and has so many good things to say here. Really a great little book to give to a friend, a neighbor, a family member at this time of the year. So I would encourage you to pick up your copy of Is Christmas Unbelievable by Rebecca McLaughlin. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, Is Christmas Unbelievable? Four Questions Everyone Should Ask About the World's Most Famous Story by Rebecca McLaughlin. You can order the book, It's Christmas Unbelievable, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, Is Christmas Unbelievable? Four questions everyone should ask about the world's most famous story by Rebecca McLaughlin to help equip you to defend the faith. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Daniel. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.